Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 8, please. Luke chapter 8. And this morning we'll begin by looking at verses 4 down to 8, and then we're going to cover all the way to 15 by the end of the sermon, Lord willing. The title of the sermon this morning, I, I admit I'm borrowing from thousands of others that have used this title. It's called The Sower and the Seed. It's simply the name of the parable and I don't think you can improve upon that name. So rather than try to get fancy, it is what it is. If I can, however, paint a picture in your mind. Just look with me at verse 4. When much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. You also find this parable in Matthew and in Mark. It's not in John. So when you look at all three accounts of the parable you get obviously the full story Jesus has been staying in a house nearby the the lake or the Sea of Galilee Lake of Gennesaret and now multitudes of people the Bible says in other places multitudes much people are gathered how many is that hundreds at least if not thousands and it's not unusual to see thousands of people come to hear Jesus remember he fed 5,000 that was just the men not counting the women and children. So to see 10,000 people show up for a service, for a preaching service for Jesus, not a surprise. So just picture this in your mind. He's in the house, and they know as soon as the sun rises or sets or whatever the schedule might be, Jesus is going to step out and speak. And people are coming from every city, all over Israel, to hear this this great prophet speak and is kind of, you know, a controversial figure. Lots of people have varying opinions about him and now the people are gathering one by one and are you ready for this? And have you ever heard him speak before? I was there for one of his miracles. You know, there's a, there's a good buzz among the people, you know, some energy. As Jesus steps out to the shore, he realizes there are so many people that he could not possibly, with his human voice, reach all of them. So he steps into a boat. And he pushes out just a little bit from the shore. He's in the boat. And now he's able to address the multitudes that have come to hear him speak. If you're one of those multitudes, maybe you've heard one of his sermons. Or maybe you've heard about one of his sermons. But you might be thinking, I, I wonder what we're going to hear today. Maybe, maybe that great sermon on the mount. Or, or, or maybe that, you know, there was something like that sermon in the plain. I, I hope he preaches that one. Yeah, but have you ever heard him talk about that thing from the prophet Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me? Have you ever heard him preach from that text? And people are all excited, you know, trying to figure out what he might say. And he steps out in verse 5. Everybody, the, a hush falls across the crowd. Here comes this powerful sermon. A sower went out to sow his seed. <laughs> and I'm sure this person looks at this person and says, do you remember that in the Old Testament? Is that a verse from Psalms? Is that in the book of Numbers? And then another guy says, I clink so is a boor. He sounds like a farmer. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And it was trodden down. And the fowls of the air devoured it. I don't know what method Jesus used. Was he a, a loud, boisterous preacher? Was he calm? I, I don't know. 
But maybe right there there's a bit of a pause just for an effect. The fowls devoured it. And the people are going, oh, what? <laughs> and then he continues, verse 6. Some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And again, the crowd is looking at each other going, do you get this? Do you know what he's talking about? It's an agricultural lesson. So far, that's all that it is. In verse 7, he continues, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. People are going, okay, this is going from bad to worse. You know, th these are not good things that are happening here so far. He's talking about failed attempts at farming. And then verse 8, we get a, you know, he ends on a high note. Verse 8, another fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. In the other Gospels, Jesus adds to that 30, 60, hundredfold. <clears throat> and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried. So now he, he lifts up his voice. Everybody has got to be standing there on the shore just looking at Jesus saying, What? What, what, what was the point of this? And he looks around at the crowd and they're locking eyes with him and he's staring right into their soul and he cries out, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And with that, Jesus closed the service. That was the whole sermon. They came from every city to hear him talk about failed farming practices and how every now and again you get it right. And that was it. They went away. Strangely enough, this is probably one of the more powerful parables Jesus ever gave about ministering the Word of God. And as we go through the rest of the interpretation and the passage, I believe you'll see that. I hope this morning that you don't leave like most of this crowd did, scratching your head going, what's the point? I don't get it. So, Lord willing, we're going to ask Him to help us with it. Let's pray about it and let's see if the Lord can help us with this topic. Father, help us this morning. Uh, Jesus gave the crowd something to think about and a lot of them went away having missed the point. We don't want that to happen this morning. Please come down and speak to our hearts. Lord, put it right down here where we can get it. Something that we can take away and use and, and reuse and next week we use it and ongoing bringing fruit in our lives help me lord to preach and give all of us ears to hear and we ask for this in jesus name amen amen now this sermon that he just gave unbeknownst to the crowd that just heard it it is a sermon about how to listen to sermons now they would have thought of this as an agricultural lesson but what he's actually giving them is something much deeper much more spiritual much more helpful but in order to get that deeper more spiritual helpful stuff as Jesus said at the end of verse 8 you must have ears to hear you must come ready to listen I, I don't know if you are familiar with how things were in the early days of the church but people didn't go home and read their Bibles you understand that hardly anyone no one had a full Bible that was unheard of the printing press wasn't invented until the 1450s you understand so everything was hand copied if somebody owned one page of the Bible that was incredibly rare 
And that person was considered, you know, a, 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 an elder in the church, an official in the church to have one page of the Bible. Many of them gave up their lives just because they owned one page. Many stories like that in early history of the church. Have you ever read this verse in James? Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You read another verse like this in Romans. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So in the early church, rarely do you see them talking about go home and read your Bible because people couldn't do that. Now think about that. On the way out the door this morning, let's just say that you all have to turn in your Bibles. You don't get to take it home. No Bible for the whole week. Now, I actually know sometimes people leave their Bibles behind. And I'm waiting the whole week. I hope they call. <laughs> I hope they know that they're missing their Bible. But let's just say that your Bible is taken away. You're, you're, you're not able to read it and you don't get it back. That's it. The only way that you're going to hear the Bible, you don't get it off YouTube, Facebook, nobody sends you a message with a verse in it. The only way you get to hear the Word of God is to show up at a church service where somebody preaches to you. That is how the early church for the first many hundred years heard the Word of God. And that's why it says be doers, not hearers only because they would sit and hear it. The reason I point that out is to say that it is of the utmost importance that you are good hearers. We have the added advantage of owning a Bible, so shame on us if we are not doing more of the Word than ever before in history. But at the very least, this time of the week, this time of a Sunday, is a very important time. Not to be taken lightly. And Jesus, by giving us this parable, He's showing us just how important it is that you are a good hearer of the Word. He says you have to have ears to hear. So what does that look like? Verse number 9, His disciples asked Him, saying, What might this parable be? Now when you look in Matthew and Mark, you find out that Jesus finished the sermon and went back in the house. Like I said, He preached for four verses and went back in the house. That was it. Now, I know some of you are like, Brother Mike, can you follow in the footsteps of Jesus in just four verses and let's go to the commons I mean, no. <clears throat> so Jesus has given them this parable and walks away. No invitation, no greeting the visitors. He goes back in the house. And his disciples, and the Bible says not just his 12, but several other of his devout followers, because he had, you know, a, a few dozen that went everywhere with him. They went in the house and said, hey, uh, Preacher, what'd that mean? What were you getting at there? Thousands of people just walked away not understanding the sermon. This makes me think of Philip. The Holy Spirit says, run and catch the eunuch. The eunuch is reading his Bible. He's in Isaiah 53. And when Philip catches up with the chariot, he says, understandest thou what thou readest? And the answer is, how can I except some man should guide me? I'm reading my Bible. How many of you feel like this? I'm reading my Bible, but I don't get it. I, I don't understand. I mean, I know I'm supposed to read it, but I don't get it. And God has ordained it. He says, preacher, come here. Go tell them what that means. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. What does that look like to have ears to hear? It's the guy who, who wants to understand it so that he can do it. Some people have ears for entertainment. They listen to the sermon because they want to 
have some feel-good stories and just, just for the entertainment value, not because they desire to do anything about it. Just get to the joke already. Some people have an ear for gossip. I hope the preacher says something that I can go home and talk about. And, and you know, did you hear what he said? Can you believe he said that? And that's the only use they have for a sermon. Some people have a forgetful ear. They hear the sermon... And, and I was going to say they have an ear with a hole in it, but everybody should have holes in their ears. <laughs> but it goes in one ear, right out the other, and that was it. Right? It was literally a passing thought. It passed through, and that was it. A forgetful ear. And then others have humble and hungry ears. Those are ears to hear. Humble enough to be taught. Hungry enough to stick around until they're full. And if they get that little appetizer of a parable and that's not enough to satisfy their hunger, they go into the preacher's house and go, Preacher, we're not done with church yet. We want some more church. We want some more preaching. What'd that mean? Please tell me because I don't want to walk away from having time at the feet of the master and not able to do something about it. I must be able to do something about it. If I can't do anything about it, why did I waste my time hearing it? These men, these women, these disciples had ears to hear. And that's evidenced because they want to know. They want to ask questions. I love Bible questions. I, lo I, I love it when people come and say, they, they always say, I got a stupid question. Not all, well, not all questions are stupid, but they come and say, I got a stupid question. You know, most of the time their questions are not stupid. They think it's stupid because, you know, in their mind it's just not the most important thing in the world the, I, I, you've heard me say it before. The only stupid question is the one you don't ask. Because that question wasn't worth taking time to find out. It, it, go ahead and ask the questions. That shows you're humble and hungry and want to learn. After I got saved, I went to my pastor's house every day of the week. We would pray together. We'd go out witnessing together, my wife and I with Brother Freddie. And then I'd come back to the house with him after two or three hours of, of ministry and I'd have a list of questions. And I'd say, now, Brother Freddie, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? After a few months of that, months of that, every day, he actually got angry. And he said, oh, Brother Mike, enough. One day God's going to give you people that have questions. <laughs> Amen, he did. <laughs> my pastor was a bit of a prophet in that sense. That's good. That's good. But watch what happens. Verse 10. And he said unto you, it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. A mystery is something that God has hidden in generations in the past, but now is revealing. Right? So those are the mysteries. Jesus has come to tell people everything they need to know about the kingdom, how to enter it, what is expected in the kingdom, what's the point of the kingdom, all of that. Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Why? Because they have the ears to hear. But to others in parables. Now this may not match the modern version of Jesus that is promoted in lots of places, even churches. But what we're about to see is, is the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus, who is capable not only of love but of judgment. Who's capable not only of being gentle and meek but also rebuke. He says, guys, you've come in privately, you've asked, I'm going to explain to you the deep parts of the kingdom of God here, but the other people, I purposely used parables because these other people 
they have been coming around to Jesus' sermons, but they were not looking to change. They were not trying to learn anything. They wanted to be entertained or gossip or just be part of the crowd. We know by this point in Jesus' life, he had many enemies. And the people were coming to his sermons looking for a reason not to believe. Isn't that right? Pharisees, Sadducees, many others, doctors of the law, the scribes, they would show up looking for a reason not to believe. We learn a few things from Jesus' reaction. The fact that he uses a parable here, he is purposely creating a gap between him and those that despise him. And it's not arbitrary. He just doesn't step out and unconditionally say, okay, I don't like you, you're over there, so I'm going to hide it from you. He has tried to give them the plain, clear truth, and he's done so for about a year and a half, and they keep turning it down. God keeps trying to speak to them over and over, straight, clear, plain, right down on their level, and they keep ignoring him. So God, in his holy judgment, says, I've tried to make it plain and easy. You don't want that, so I'll give you the truth in another way. I'll now disguise it in a parable. And it's not because he doesn't want them to know the truth. He tried that. But because of the hardness of their heart, God now uses a different tactic. Listen, Jesus is not desperate for attention. We get the idea sometimes in modern Christianity that Jesus is so desperate that he will pander. He will pander and tell people whatever they want to hear in whatever way they want to hear it. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible is very interested in you knowing him and following him, but on his terms. It's not a negotiation. He comes and he speaks forth the truth in love, hoping that you react to it. Take your Bible, if you would, hold Luke chapter 8. Let's get Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel 14, I'd like to take you through a few verses here. The people that were coming to listen to Jesus preach were trying to find a way out of what he was saying. They were looking for a reason not to believe. So you know what God gave them? Exactly what they were looking for. You know the worst thing God can do to you in this life is give you what you want? That's the worst thing he can do to give you what you want. The best thing he can do, any good father will tell you this, when the kids are asking for something, it's fine that they ask, but a good dad doesn't always say yes. He gives the children what they need, not always what they want. Amen. Amen. And that's what God does. Jesus is using parables in, 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 a, in a way to get their attention. To say, I gave it to you easy, you didn't want it. So now I'm going to answer you from your own heart. Now watch Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 1. Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying... Now, do you have the picture in your mind? Here's Ezekiel the prophet. Elders of Israel, the leaders, have now come to him. They say, preacher, we got Bible questions. Verse 3. Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Do you guys understand what that is? 
They have idols in their heart. They don't love the Lord God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. They, they love other things. They want other things. They want to come to the prophet and they want to hear the prophet say that it's okay to love those other things. So they have set up an idol in their heart and whatever is in your heart will eventually manifest physically before you. So they've put it in front of their face as well. The stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. The question is, should I be inquired of at all by them? Do they now have a right to come and ask me legitimate, genuine questions? Because when they come to the prophet Ezekiel, they make it look as if they're on the Lord's side. But God says, I know what's in your heart. And I know what you got set up in your bedroom at home. You got that idol sitting on your mantle by your bedside. They're not going to bring their idol in their hand when they come to the prophet. You're not going to bring your idol to church and show off how much you love the things of the world. You wouldn't do that in church, but you'll do it the other six days of the week. And God knows that. Verse 4, Therefore speak unto them, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart, and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols. God says, I'm going to tell them what they want to hear. Whoa. That's a strange passage. Verse 5, that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart because they are all estranged from me through their idols. They've fallen in love with these other things instead of me. Verse 6, therefore say unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, repent and turn yourselves from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For every one of the house of Israel or of the stranger that sojourneth in Israel, which separateth himself from me, and setteth up his idols in his heart, and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. Watch this carefully, verse 8. And I will set my face against that man, and will make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from the midst of my people, and ye shall know that I am the Lord." What a strange passage. God says, I've been speaking through Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Micah, Hosea. I've been trying to tell the people the truth. They've rejected it for over 200 years by this point. He says, okay, since they don't want truth, I'll give them what they do want. Verse 9, and if the prophet be deceived when he hath spoken a thing, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet. And I will stretch out my hand upon him and will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel. God says they don't want real prophets. They want false prophets. They don't want to hear the truth right there straight at them. They want to hear smooth things that make the ears feel good. Oh, just a little bit to the left, preacher. A little bit to the left. Oh, there. Oh, yes. They want those ears to be tickled. They don't have ears to hear. They have itching ears. They have itching ears, not ears to hear. So Jesus, what he's doing by using a parable is to say, listen, I know the condition of your heart and I know that you don't want truth. You've been rejecting it too long. So now if you want it, Jesus says, I I'm going to make it to where you've got to work for it. I'm going to tuck it away somewhere so that you have to ask some questions. If you're really serious, Jesus is more than happy to explain it, but you're going to have to come after the service and ask some questions. You know what I've, what I've seen happen? 
people come around for a while and they sit through a few services and they just don't get it. And, and eventually they trail off without asking any questions, without investigating. They just trail off. And they, and, and they start to say, you know, I just don't get anything out of it. Now granted, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> so there's a very good chance that maybe I'm doing something wrong. But by the grace of God, I'm trying to prepare you substantial sermons and Bible lessons so that if you are hungry and want to know more about God through His Word, you'll find it on a consistent basis. We try to offer that. Now granted, I, I accept my side of it. I've got to do my part to feed the flock. But you've got to be hungry enough and humble enough to come and feed. The Bible says, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. You cannot help people that do not want to be helped. How are you going to feed a man who's not hungry? He doesn't want to eat. You've got to come with a desire for the sincere milk of the Word. Back in Luke chapter 8, let's get verse 11. I'm concerned we got a little lamb moving about with the rocks out there. I, I don't know whose little lamb that is. but Oh, you're okay. Okay, there you are. Okay, we're good. I didn't see mom out there. We're fine. All right, everything's good. I just saw a little lamb moving some rocks around. I thought, okay, that, that might turn into something bad. Luke chapter 8 and verse 11. Well, when we get to the part in the parable about the stony ground, oh dear. <laughs> Luke chapter 8 and verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. Now right away, as soon as Jesus says that, I bet all the disciples went, oh, oh, we see where this is going now. Right? Isn't that, the, isn't that how it works? You're reading through the Bible, you don't get it, and you ask somebody, what does this mean? And they just say, they just say one thing, you go, oh, I get it now. I get it. And everything just falls into place. The seed is the Word of God. In a King James Version of the Bible, you have 31,102 verses. That's a lot of seed. Folks, that's a lot of seed. How many of them have you taken in? Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. How many of these seeds have you allowed God to plant deep enough in your heart so that it can bring forth fruit? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? I'm struggling to overcome sin. Then memorize some verses about that struggle and let them sink deep. Yalaburu Mensa, help me, believe. One hectare of land, pretty decent size, yes? How could you imagine? We have some farmers in the room today. One hectare. Could you imagine putting one seed in that one hectare per month and expecting to have some fruit come from that? Would any farmer do that? One hectare, walk out there flippantly one Sunday and just go, bing, one seed, and walk off. Why, that would be ridiculous. Could you imagine coming around one sermon per month and your whole heart's not even in it? Your heart has the capacity, right? Much more than a hectare's worth of capacity. Your heart can take in a lot. You know that because you have Netflix. You can take in a lot. Oh, you can binge watch. Oh, just say amen. At least nod. Come on, come on. You know you can. 
We're human. You can take in a lot. How many of these seeds have fallen into that ground? The seed is the Word of God. Over there in the Minor Prophets it says, Is the seed yet in the barn? That's an interesting passage. Yes, there is still seed in the barn. Did you know there's still a lot of seeds in this book that have yet to fall deep into your heart? You know what I've found? I've gone through my Bible and I don't, I don't talk about how many times I've read through my Bible. I've gone through it and through it and through it and through it. And I'm still finding new things. It's as if the Holy Spirit kind of moves verses around in the middle of the night. And I wake up the next day and I'm like, how did that get there? I didn't see that the last time I read it. Go through it again and again and again. Verse number 12, Jesus begins to interpret the parable. Now, we know that there's four parts to the parable, so my sermon outline is very easy this morning. Jesus has already outlined it for me. Can I just point something out? Those of you that have been coming on Thursday nights, by the way, great chance to get more seeds in the ground. Thursday night, we've been covering some deep, important stuff. Man, have we ever. Four groups. I've been teaching this for years, by the way, that there are four groups, and all of you this morning fit into one of these four groups. This is all of humanity. Group number one, they have a profession of salvation and they live up to it. They say that they're saved and they practice their faith. All right? And then there's another group that says that they're saved, but they don't live like it. All right? that's, that's group number two. They say that they're saved, but don't live up to it. They are actually saved. But there's just not much evidence or any evidence of it. But they are actually saved. And then group number three looks and sounds the exact same as group number two. They say that they're saved, but they also don't live up to it, but they're not actually saved. All they have was a profession. And then there's a fourth group that has absolutely no profession. They don't even claim to be Christian. This morning, you fit into one of those groups. Take just a moment and think which group you're in. And you're going to see, now I've always explained them in that order, Jesus gives the parable in the reverse order. He starts off with the guy with no profession, no fruit, okay? And we're going to see these four groups as we go through. So let's take a look at them. Verse number 12. This is the group that treads it underfoot. If you're keeping notes here, treading underfoot. Verse 12. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. In, in Luke's gospel, in verse number 5, it's the only gospel that gives us this information. In verse 5, the seed fell by the wayside and it was trodden down. Do you see that? Matthew and Mark don't tell us that. Only Luke. It was trodden down. You know, I, I pictured this in my mind. Jesus is in that boat preaching. Thousands are standing there listening. But there are others walking past, right? While Jesus is preaching... They're walking past, and they're moving through the crowd. Excuse me, excuse me. They're on their way somewhere. The seeds are going out, but, but they're in transit, and they're treading it underfoot. They're, they don't even know what they're missing. How many of you have ever stepped in gum? Stepped in gum? It's not a shameful thing. It's not, you don't need to be afraid to admit that. It's not like a sin. I'm just, I mean, it happens, right? How many of you, when you stepped in the gum, you saw the gum and then stepped in it? Did, did you look at it and go, hey, there's gum? No. You know what's happening? You're busy looking elsewhere. 
and don't even realize there's gum. How many times we do not realize what we're treading on? Right? Husbands, have you ever had your wife say this? You're, you're treading on thin ice, buddy. <laughs> you're on thin ice. You look down and you're like, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know I was on thin ice. How did I get here? <laughs> we don't even know sometimes. You know, you know so, sometimes people come to church, and, and I get it, it's easy to let your mind drift off. You're here. Listen, this group, they were in the vicinity of the sermon. Do you understand that? Because they hear it. Verse 12, those by the wayside are they that hear. They are, they are not at home. They are within in earshot. They could have gotten something, but they were just not paying attention. They were on the move, and even you say, but pastor, that's not me. I'm sitting here right now. I'm not on the move. Maybe not like physically your body's not moving, but your mind is elsewhere. Your mind is thinking, where am I going to go here? What do I got to do next? And you don't even realize there's some seed falling that really could help, but you're already moving on. Can I point something out in verse 12? The seed falls, then cometh the devil. Then cometh the devil. Did you know the devil comes to church? See, I know I sit next to him every week. <laughs> Not like that. The devil comes every Sunday. That's more than a lot of Christians can say. Devil comes every Sunday. Every time the doors are open, he's here. Oh, he's here. I think it's interesting that, I don't know if you've ever paid attention to the birds chirping outside. It's like a little reminder from the Holy Spirit. Be careful, this is a spiritual exercise. This isn't a classroom at the puck. I'm not belittling that, I'm just saying that there's something, there's a spiritual transaction going on here. And as much as we want the Holy Spirit to be here and have complete control over what we're doing, we cannot ignore the fact that the fowls of the air are just circling waiting for any seed that is left behind that somebody didn't notice and they didn't pick up on it and they just left it there as soon as we are not there to protect that seed boom the seed is gone let me also tell you that when you don't come to church you're making the devil's job easier right because he doesn't have to steal any seed out of your heart. It got nowhere near you. Very important to expose yourself. Put yourself in a place where the seed is being thrown out. Where it's being given out. But it's not enough to just be there. That's not enough. You have to want to understand it. Which leads to the next one, verse 13. So this group in verse 12, mind you, not saved. No profession. They don't understand it. They, they heard it, but they didn't understand it. They didn't believe it. Verse 13, they on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. So group number one, tread underfoot. Group number two is temporary. They, when they hear it, they like it. They're on board with it. They, they receive it with joy. They have an emotional response to what they hear. And they like it. And, and it's probably like a group effort. 
the people they came with like it. And it's a, you know, it's a positive movement in the right direction. Hey, everybody's doing it and everybody's on board with this and it's easy and it's convenient and the preacher didn't ask that much of me. I'm on board with that. Sure, let's do it. Let's go. Yeah, everybody's liking this. But as soon as it gets difficult in a time of temptation, now in the other parables and the other uh, uh, gospels, it talks about the sun scorching the seed when things get heated. It's a time of persecution. Then they fall away. In one of the other gospels, it says they are offended. Now, mind you, when the, when the but gospel writers use the word offended, they're talking about falling away from the faith. You got challenged under persecution and you gave up the faith. Of course, these people had no root. It wasn't in their heart. It was just in their minds. It was a good idea for the moment, but as soon as there's a, a cost involved, off they go. Unfortunately, nowadays, it's not a matter of persecuting people and scaring them out of their faith. It's, guys, let's just be honest. We have thin skin. It doesn't take much to offend us these days. And I say us. I'm a product of my society as well. Shame on me. I shouldn't let my feelings get hurt so quickly. You know, it's, it's one thing. When you think back to, Brother Francois gave us a great lesson this morning. He mentioned the Roman persecution in the early days of the church. You guys realize because the early Christians would not go to the Colosseum and watch the sporting event, they would be arrested. Because they were anti-Roman culture. And if you're not going to allow Roman culture, then you're anti-Roman, you're anti-government, you're a traitor. They could be put to death because they would say, we're not going to go watch people die in the Colosseum in the gladiator games. So you know what they did? They would use the Christians then. They say, if you don't want to go to the Colosseum willingly, you're going to go unwillingly and you will be the food for the lions. You'll be the spectator sport. We'll throw you to the lions and we will cheer and watch the lions eat you. Why? Because they said, we don't believe it's right to kill innocent people. Oh, our turn's coming. Folks, let's just be honest. When I can look at a man, and if I don't call that man her, I'm in danger of being arrested for a hate crime. Listen, just based on principle. Now, I, I, I don't even need the Bible for me to call a man sir. Okay, I would just do that because of my common sense. But the Bible says God made them male and female. I'm not ashamed to stand by that biblical statement. And I'm certainly not trying to offend that person. Right? I, I, if it's a man, I just want to call the man a man. That's, that's not, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to be real with that person. But we're getting to the point where now if, if you send your kid to a school, they're thinking to put all the kids in one bathroom. Boys and girls, I'm sorry, but I'm going to draw a line somewhere. But pretty soon, because we will not allow our kids to uh, choose their bathroom, we are going to be anti-government. Do you see how we're going right back to where we started? Oh, we're not too far off from the day when our faith is going to cost us something. Think about it just for a moment. If they came in today and said, listen, if you're a part of this church, if you stand for these things, then we are going to arrest you. So if, you, if you're not on board with this, if you don't actually believe this, you can leave. Well, we'd have some church then, wouldn't we? 
We'd have one of those Paul and Silas prayer meetings there down at the Philippian prison (laughs) where we sing and pray and hopefully the earthquake opens the doors. Guys, I, I believe me, I'm not begging for that to happen. I don't want, when I sit down and count the cost of my discipleship, I don't look forward to all the sacrifices that might be expected of us. But group number two here, these are the ones that hear it and go, yeah, this is great, I love it. And they go, okay, yeah, here, sit down. Let me tell you what's involved with discipleship. Here's what's going to, it's going to cost you. Ah, uh, you, wait a minute. Hang on. No, 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 no. I, I, I didn't sign up for that. And off they go. That's group number two. Group number three, verse number 13. And that which fell among thorns... Are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection? Group one, tread underfoot, not saved. Don't even claim to be. They don't understand it. They don't believe it. Group number two, temporary. No root, nothing in their heart, not saved, but they will sound like they're saved for a while. But profession without fruit but not saved. Group three, saved. The seed went in and it was starting to bring forth fruit. But then it says at the end of verse 14, bring no fruit to perfection. The growth cycle didn't get to fully run. The fruit wasn't complete. Are they saved? Yes. But they're not bringing forth the fruit that they should have been bringing forth. The potential, it didn't get to run its course. So group three, we're going to say thorns. Tread underfoot. And then we have temporary, then we have thorns. Let me ask you a question. When are we supposed to stop bearing fruit? At what point? We're not, right? The fruit's just ongoing, which requires, by the way, constant maintenance. If any of you have ever tried to have a garden thorns and weeds, right? You have to stay on top of that. Because at any point something can enter in and choke the word. These are people that hear it and, and, and actually start to do something about it. They're watering the garden. It's growing. <clears throat> now the thorns come in. Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Yes? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All of those things should constantly be growing in your life are they still growing see when we have the fruit of the spirit what we're essentially doing is becoming more like Christ so just little self-examination just now in the last six months how much more like Christ have you become you say well in the last six months I've, I've gotten busy with other stuff Not necessarily sinful stuff. Look at the things in the verse. They're choked with cares. In the other Gospels, it says the cares of this world. Can I tell you what those are? In 1 Corinthians 7, the Bible tells us what these cares are. Your spouse. And and as a byproduct, your children. What's wrong with that? Nothing. That's not sinful. You know what else is in 1 Corinthians 7? Your job. That's part of living in this world. We have to function in this world with those things, with a spouse and children and a job. That's all part of it. But be careful that it doesn't choke the word and you use it as an excuse 
for not doing what God has commanded you to do. The next one is riches. In the other Gospels, it says the deceitfulness of riches. Anything wrong with having money? No, nothing at all. Unless that becomes the source of your happiness. Then it's deceiving you. People will cheat, steal, lie. Corruption is a popular tactic to get money. People will devote their life to money. And it becomes their master. You might even think that the money in your pocket is the true riches. It's not. Proverbs chapter 23 says the money comes in and it, it grows wings like an eagle and flies away. Haven't you felt that? I mean, don't you know the Bible's true just based on that? <laughs> Cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, pleasures of this life. You know what? In another gospel says the lust of other things. You know what those are? Just hobbies. Just things you like to do pleasures of this life there's nothing wrong with having riches nothing wrong with having a spouse and a job nothing wrong with enjoying a hobby until you're no longer growing the way you should be until your job becomes your master and not the Lord the fruit was coming up very nicely but then other things other things came in. Verse number 15. <clears throat> it says, But that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. In one case, it's tread down. In other case, it's temporary. Third case, thorns sprung up. And this last case is Thriving. Thriving. It fell on good ground, an honest and a good heart. This person sat through the service because they wanted to hear something that they could do. It says they keep it. Now, to keep it doesn't mean like you put it in your pocket and keep it. Because then they'd be hiding it under a bushel kind of an idea. Keep it is like, have you kept the law? You do the law. You, you perform it. They keep it. You know, in the other Gospels, it says 30, 60, 100 fold. So I got to thinking about that breakdown and... I mean, it's, I think, impossible to perfectly quantify this, but just think about this. When you hear something, how often do you put it into practice? Do you practice it 30 times? 60 times? 100 times? Think of this. What you hear today, the next 30 times you come to church, put this into practice. And go, okay, I'm going to come to church with a good and honest heart. I'm going to clear away all the thorns. I, I, I'm not here for a temporary, you know, entertainment, emotional high. I'm going to zero in and pay attention. Do that 30, the next 30 times you come to church. It might become a habit. Do it 60 times. Do it 100 times. Two straight years, every Sunday, you be verse number 15. I wonder how much fruit you'd bring forth then. You know what I would do? Whenever I was a, a, a young Christian, I was sitting where you were sitting, somebody else was preaching. As soon as the sermon was done, sometimes before. And guys, I, this is not, I'm not twisting your arm to come forward. This is just what I did. I would come to the altar. Now, I, I didn't, it wasn't my decision, okay, I'm going to go to the altar no matter what is said. But I would say, God, if you spoke to me in that sermon, I'm going to the altar. And the reason I did that, my pastor didn't ask that of me. That was my decision. You know why I did it? This parable. There was a seed that just got sown in my heart. 
I could feel the Lord planting it. I didn't want the devil to take it. So I came forward so that I could shove it down deep in my heart and go, okay, God, this is what I heard you say, and this is what I want to do about it. And I would make a plan at the altar what I'm going to do with that seed that just went in my heart. You know, I've been telling you, come to church, look for that nugget, right? Look for that, this, that one seed that takes, okay, God, I'm going to go home. You gave me a sermon today about being patient. Okay, God, help me. I'm going to go home. I'm going to be patient with my wife. I'm going to be patient with my coworkers. And I would think it through like that. I remember as a young Christian, oh, man, some of these sermons still stick in my mind to this day. Jack Wood, he preached a sermon called The Pony Express. Have you ever heard of the Pony Express? It only worked for like a year in, in America, 1860 to 1861. It was a mail-carrying service where they'd tuck, tuck the mail on the side of a horse and, man, they'd go and people were shooting at him. And it was a crazy stories. But Jack Wood, an old Texan, he said, that Pony Express, they had to carry the mail. They had to carry the mail. And I remember to this day, I can think of carry the mail. And he was talking about how we need to take the gospel to the next town. And he preached about how we should take that mail, that gospel, and give the word of God to the next town. No matter who's shooting at us or who's chasing us, them in, he, did, he couldn't say Indians, he would say Injuns. <laughs> them Injuns are coming after us, but we're going to carry the mail. And I thought, ooh, I want to go carry the mail. <laughs> that, that sermon has stuck with me. I want to preach the gospel everywhere I go. Jim Lynn's preached a sermon called Cumin, Fitches, and Corn. Cumin, Fitches, and corn. Now, if you read Isaiah, you read that in Isaiah chapter 28, and it's a great sermon about getting beat down, but not quitting. That sermon still in my heart. And whenever I feel myself getting beat down, I put it into practice. Oh, I've put it into practice way more than a hundred times. That one seed has brought forth more than a hundredfold. Brother Sam Gipp, he preached about Bible reading and prayer. It stuck with me. 20 years, that seed has been bringing forth fruit. You do the math. 20 years, 365 days a year. It's never left me. Brother Donovan preached a sermon called God's, I'm going to give you the more politically correct term, God's donkey. And it was about being a humble and a faithful servant. I heard that sermon 26 years ago. I still think about it today. You, you know the best way to not let the seed get taken away? Is bury it deep in your heart and keep it. Do something with it. Again and again and again and it will become a habit. It says at the end of verse 15, bring forth fruit with patience. I'm going to keep doing it, keep doing it. And when I feel the thorns creeping up into my garden, because all of us have that, when I feel the thorns coming up, then I'll take the time to cut my schedule back so that I can keep growing. No more flimsy excuses. No more falling away in a, in a time of temptation. Well, I'm tempted. You know, I don't, I don't want to come to church because I'm having a bad hair day. You know, there's bad weather out today, so I'm not going to... No more, no more letting, the, letting the seed fall just on the surface. And then when it's a little bit tough, you follow it. No more of that. 
God, if I'm going to be in church and hear the word, I want it to sink in deep. I don't want to just tread it underfoot. Take as long as you need, God, to change me. You have all the rest of my life. It's yours. I will just keep doing something with what you've told me. Now, if God has put something in your heart, bury it deep. Bury it deep. Decide before you leave the room today, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about what you've heard? Maybe think back to some other sermons. God, you know, I heard that. That helped me. But now I've kind of fallen away from doing it. Let me get back to that. If I can just warn you of one thing before you go. Mind the birds as you go. Mind the birds. Because they're minding you. Just be careful. That seed doesn't go anywhere. Let it stay deep. Let's all stand if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. As I mentioned earlier, I'm not trying to twist your arm to get to the altar, but perhaps, perhaps you'd like to put that into practice and take a few minutes here at the altar and just ask the Lord what He wants you to do with with all the seed that He's been planting in your heart. Ask yourself, um, do I still have fruit coming up in my garden? Am I still changing? What exactly does it take to get you to stop doing the Word? Is it a convenience thing? Are you just a surface level Christian? Or will you do it when it's difficult? When it's challenging? When it's costly? Test your faith. The Bible says to examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Okay, we'll take a look. Any fruit? Any indication that the seed has taken root in your heart? If there's no fruit, then there is a chance that there's no root. I always tell, you know, people ask me, how do you know when you're in love with somebody? I always tell them, wait until you've had a bad day with them. And the reason I say that is because that, that's when things get heated. And if they don't run off and you don't run off, there's a good chance you love them. But when it gets difficult, you run off. Well, then that was just a surface level thing. It wasn't deep. Some are praying. I want to give them time. Let that seed get as deep as it needs to go. How about you, ma'am, sir? This is a sermon about listening to sermons. So hopefully this will help you make use of the sermons to come.
and maybe even make you think back on some other sermons and dig them up again and say, you know, I need to do something about that. We've been going verse by verse through the book of Luke. Man, there's a lot you can do in the book of Luke so far. Make an honest effort this week to keep the word. I'm going to pray and close the service just now. Let me say, though, if you're here and you've never been saved, or perhaps you're just curious about it, you're not sure that you're saved, if you'd like to chat about it, feel free to come find me. If I'm not available, Brother Francois, Armand, Garrett, we got several people. Zintle, you find lots of people here that can help you. But don't leave. Be like those disciples. Come and ask privately and say, help me with this. I want to understand it. Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. Lord Jesus, I believe it's important to you the way that we hear a sermon. And we don't want to take the seed lightly. It is a privilege that you would sow seed in our direction. Lord, that is grace. That is just you being merciful to us. Now, Father, we want to labor abundantly with that grace you've given us. Lord, help us. We want to have ears to hear, not just on a Sunday, but any time that seed is getting thrown out there, we want our hearts to be ready to receive it. Thank you, Father, for helping us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.